This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Ira Baptiste is the board chair of the Institute of Canadian Agencies. She's also the managing director and executive vice president of Brandfire Marketing Group. She's also a mighty woman. She and I were actually both selected by The Message for their inaugural Mighty Women list this year. In fact, it was the honor of being chosen as Mighty Women that reconnected Ira and I after many, many years. I'd like to think that during our chat today, Ira and I solve all the problems of the world. And of course we don't, but we sure touch on most of them. Please welcome the Mighty and the Brave, Ira Baptiste. I cannot tell you how excited I am to introduce you to my friend, my colleague of over 25, oh, that's a scary thing, 25 plus years, Ira Baptiste. Ira, welcome to Breaking Brave. Thank you very much, Marilyn. You're very kind and right back at you. Thank you. 25 great years. They've been great years. Absolutely. And so- I'd like to look at COVID as giving us gifts as well as giving us hell on earth. The gifts that COVID has given us is a lot of reconnections to people that we had essentially lost from our our previous years in working. And Ira and I reconnected because we were both nominated and then selected by The Message Canada as two of the 10 2022 Mighty Women. And I was, first of all, floored when I got selected. And second of all, when I saw the list, I'm like, Ira, there you are. So it gave us an opportunity to reconnect. Ira, how did it make you feel to be selected as a Mighty Woman? Well, I okay, there's two parts of it. Um, Probably part of my childhood being the youngest of seven. I had no choice but to be mighty because I had to weasel my way in there. But when it was more about the colleagues in that selection, that humbled me. So I was very elated to be nominated, but I thought, wow, I'm with some people who I believe have really made some great impact in the areas that they've worked in and the things that they've done. But I also knew in my mind that something we've talked about, and I've kind of got the double whammy on that, it is women's time. It's like 2021-22 was so significant. So we were nominated for 2022, right? And we were kind of being acknowledged for the work that we'd always done, but for whatever reasons with the way society looked at women, women's traditional roles in their lives, we're often overlooked. And our male counterparts, because for many different reasons, we're always kind of recognized before us. But then we had something that we owned. It wasn't the Mighty Men and Women Award. It was Mighty Women. And I thought it was totally in line 
with the shift to the future and what we want to build. You know, you've heard that saying, you have to see it to be it. Yeah. So if we care about the future and my experience with seeing strong, smart women, that was my motivation to go, hey, that could be me too. And so to me, that honor, it was an honor, but it was also a responsibility, if that makes sense. It does, totally. And you know what? I've never thought of it as a responsibility. But the interesting thing is, you're so right when you say that, because when you step out of being that person who got picked, selected to be a mighty woman, the readers, especially the young readers, this is having an impact on the world, or at least Canada, or at least whoever was reading it. But I don't know about you, Ira. I got notes from everywhere. Oh, me too. It's crazy. You know, I'd be on a client call and they're like, oh, you're so humble. Why aren't you, you know, why aren't you beating your chest and like, look at me? Yeah. But that's who we are, right? As women. Yeah. Because we're caregivers and nurturers, we often come second. So it was also a little uncomfortable to step into that light. You're so right about that too, my God. I didn't think about it that way. But I heard from people that I haven't talked to in the industry, and we say the industry as in advertising industry, for 25 or 30 years. And I got some of the most incredible heartfelt notes from people that I had worked with but didn't really know very well on a personal level. I was shocked. It's like I got shivers when I was reading some of these notes. I agree with you 100%. So you mentioned something in advertising. There's this thing called LinkedIn where you connect with people that are some... Really? (laughs) Come on. No. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? (laughs) But what's amazing about that space is not everyone's in advertising. So you talked about the connections of COVID of people in advertising. How about the connections in COVID when I became a mighty woman, someone from my public school sent a note through LinkedIn and said, not surprised, you were a mighty woman in grade five. Oh. And they recounted a story of this little house league who said, you were that, that's who you were. And I was just, of all the notes, and we have not spoke since grade seven. Wow. And this other person said, oh, I saw that when you were in grade like five and six. I'm not surprised you're a mighty woman. You always were. And I was just like, (laughs) right? Which brings my point to, we are our worst critic. We never feel like this is not a psychology couch, that we're we're not enough. We could have done more. We have to push harder. So our 100% is someone else's 150, 160. And why? Because of the things we just said. People do look, we're under a microscope. We're under a microscope. Whether they say it or not, they're waiting. It's true. And, And there's a lot of conditioning around that waiting. You know what I mean? And I think that we got to showcase these mighty women You can do it in different ways, have different backgrounds, take different routes, but you still have to do the work. And all the mighty women in our cohort did the work. And so I love mighty women and the people who know us know we did the work. Other people kind of think, well, of course, someone like me who's very gregarious, who's out there, who's just like, I, I, you know. If there's not a seat at the table, I'm dragging one from across the room and I'm sitting down. And Wait, if I sit at- I'm getting a chair. <laughs> yes. Hold on. Can you, can you scooch? Scooch! <laughs> and if I get to that table and I sit down and they're not serving my purpose and my vision and what my nature needs, then I got to be brave enough to leave the table. So you see how that it's like this give and take that we like how much, how far do, how much do we take 
And when do we walk away? Yeah. Right? So I just thought, wow, getting the award for me, the next step was all this introspection Hmm. of my professional life in particular. But I'm a child of the 60s. And about in the early 2000s, they stopped with this, leave your life at the door and be this work person. Mm -hmm. So we got to meld those two things together. And this was where we started to hear the words authentic, emotional intelligence, uh, empathy, and this whole set of rules or or behaviors around leadership shifted. And then my most favorite man in the world, Barack Obama, ran to be the president on this empathy and intelligence and what's your EI? What's your emotional intelligence? Because now all of a sudden, emotion had a seat at the table. And we'd been taught to suppress it for how many years? So it was this perfect timing of me too, suppress that. You got the job, didn't you? Don't shh. And it was like, no. And that, by the way, and I'm not, I don't work for a film studio, but uh, there's a great movie call coming out called Shut Up with Carrie Mulligan about Harvey Weinstein oh, is there in really? the fall. And it's going to be magnificent because these women didn't shut up. And I look at the, you know, the mighty women as women who had to find their voice that had to say things that were uncomfortable. And in some instances, put us in jeopardy of being left out of the list, left off the short list, being viewed as a bit difficult. Difficult is the good word. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? And if I heard that, oh, she's a bit difficult. Oh, God. Because I didn't shut up, right? No, no. I lost a few jobs in the ad game because... If I saw the pink elephant standing in the middle of the boardroom table, I talked about it. I just couldn't not talk about it. But back then, it did not serve me well. No, no. But there's no such thing as a coincidence. Everything we did brought us to, in this case, that mighty woman list. Everything we did. Yeah. Even this recording where we can share our stories. Yeah. To people who are sitting there thinking, it's only me. Why does this happen? And it doesn't make it okay that it happened to us. What makes it okay is that we started to change it. For you to be a woman in advertising with your own agency, in the pool you were slim, you were literally swimming with sharks. Yep. Right? Yep. But then you proved through it the success of your company that it was doable. And where I like where business is going is your values has an impact on your success. And I have what I call no-fly zones. There are lines. Respect and dignity is huge for me. It's just lack of respect will get you walked out of the door more than a $500,000 mistake because that's just money. And we can figure out... And yes, we might have to pivot and do things differently. But when you treat people in any way that is disrespectful, you need to be checked. You need to be accountable. You know, none of this, oh, I didn't know. Let, let's educate them. Like how many times, I, well, I didn't mean it. And I'm into podcasts big right now. I'm glad to hear that. I am. I, I think that I can't believe how many wonderful things so many people have to say. And one of the people that I love, Jay Shetty, said, it doesn't matter when someone says, well, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to make you feel like that. It doesn't matter. What matters is how you make them feel. So if they felt that way, something happened in that exchange for them to take that information in and feel marginalized, disrespectful, ignored transparent, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to be really careful, even if we don't agree and we don't like it, to let people have their voice. Mm -hmm. 
challenge them in a rational, respectful way. Help me understand your perspective so that I can come on your journey to find out. And then you might go, oh, I can see why you decided that's the way you feel. And most of us gave up because we just said, they're kind of a waste of space and I'm not spending my energy on that. And as we matured, we knew we had to spend our energy if we had to make something shift. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to continue on that line of finding your voice. Can you tell me the story of when you were working at Echo Advertising mm-hmm. and the first, it, you talk about it as the first moment, the first moment yeah. of really finding your voice and stepping into that light around this production that Echo Advertising had an awful lot to do with. So I think the listeners would love to hear that story. Okay, so back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a show, very famous movie called Showboat. And it was on a boat in the South where they had these workers who were Black, who were absolutely marginalized. And they had a main character who sang this very famous song called Old Man River, just keeps on flowing and I'll keep on doing what we want. There was a lot of pushback from the Black community to put on this uh, theatrical production by Garth Rabinsky, who was at Livent, and it was big. It was big money. It was a big production. And they're like, no, we have moved beyond that. We can't do that. We're going backwards in time. And I happened to be working on that account at my agency. Now, besides the fact that I worked on the account, it was the first time I found my voice to say, I actually don't agree with my community, my peers, with wanting to stop this production. And it was the first time that I kind of put it together where I said, if we don't show history, two things are going to happen. Number one, we will never, if we erase it and suppress it and never let it out, people go, well, it didn't happen because I have seen no proof anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in the books. There's nothing. There's nothing. I don't see it. So it didn't happen. If they find some smidges of it, that's one thing. But then many generations later, we'll make the same mistake because we don't know we've made that we did this to people and that this was the way it was. Yes, they can work on these boats, but they're equal pay by skin color as the other person doing the job. So I just said, I believe, and I thought it was a dishonor to Paul Robeson, who was the actor, first Black actor featured in this movie, who got kudos, had an amazing scene career of the trailblazing he did. Oh, it doesn't matter because we're just going to ignore it because it's too uncomfortable for me. And I remember having conversations with my own community, being the Black community, where I understood by finding my voice, you could disagree and then try to understand each other's perspective. Fast forward to 2022, the delta between opinions are so great Mm. that we can't even listen to each other anymore. And I can be guilty of that in certain instances around certain things. I'm like, I'm not even talking about that because that's just, that's just like, I can't. And if we can't have the conversation, we can't make any movement. So disrespecting the person who broke those barriers because that person broke that those barriers. Then you had Hattie McDaniel. She was the first black woman, not Halle Berry, to win an Oscar, but at the time couldn't attend because of segregation rules. But you can't ignore what she did, even though she was the maid. She was the best supporting actress. She broke a glass ceiling. But we're not going to talk about Gone with the Wind, though. No, we're not. So I feel pretty strongly about that. So when I felt strongly about this is going to not just help me, but it helps everybody understand. 
And then when we got into the conversation, it wasn't as scary as I thought. I I, I kind of understood where they were coming from, from a pain point of view. And, you know, slavery, mar- being marginalized, segregation, the violence, everything. It wasn't a great time in history. Look at where we came to with Black Lives Matter. There were people dying and bloodshed, but we made inroads. We put in laws. There were things... You, It doesn't, I'm not saying it's right, but you have to keep pushing. The work is never done. You stop the work, the work is done. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. So it was a really great time. And let me be clear. That's the first time that I understood that people can really dislike you and go out of their way to let you know their point of view. As in, like, you're crazy, you're an Oreo, you're black on the outside, you're white on the inside, you haven't lived the black experience, blah, blah, blah. But then the other part was the unbelievable support of people who were like, wow, when I heard you say that, I remember I was interviewed from McLean's Magazine, and there was a little picture of me in an article in uh, McLean's Magazine, and they said, you know what? You opened my eyes to something I didn't look at. That doesn't mean I changed it, but I I gave them a perspective that they were like, huh, right, okay. And I thought, honestly, to me, I had done what I'd set out to do. And I was happy with that. And as long as you make people think, Ira, providing them with perspective and giving them another point of view and making them think, this is how the world needs to move forward. Right. And then you also understand, like, Finding your voice isn't for other people. It's for you. That's the wise words. That's the wise words. It it has nothing to do with them at all. Right. Because I can't control them. I can only control me. Yeah. And if I have to have this sphere of influence, and I'll just bring it right back to mighty women, that's that responsibility. When I talk, when I do something in LinkedIn, I'm very thoughtful in what I'm doing because all of a sudden it's gone from this many people reaching out to thousands more. That's that responsibility piece. And it comes with finding your voice. And that's why powerful people or people who have influence have to be very careful because I don't think they realize how much power their words have and their actions. Absolutely. And you ran a company. People are always watching you. And you're right. The smallest things sometimes you don't even realize, but they are totally tuned in. Yeah. Talk to me because you were voted, nominated, and selected as the board chair for ICA January of this year, right? So Uh ICA stands for Institute of Canadian Agencies. Yes. It's a big deal. Do you love it? I love it. I I am learning how to be a chair yeah. while giving people the opportunity to give their inputs. And it's really interesting because there's different levels of voices, mm. not intellect, but of voices. Like I'm the person who can command a room. It's like, I got it. I got it. And I got to learn to zip it.com <laughs> so the other voices can rise up. Right. Mm-hmm. So within the board, we have some very strong board members. And there's been one where I've, you know, I've had to say, I I got it. Thanks, though. Thanks very much. (laughs) But I got it. Right. Yeah. So that balance of that and it came off of the ICA's strategic vision, which was around inclusion diversity, equity. And as I say, as a Black woman in the business, I've played my dues, but I I played very well into their strategic vision. Mm -hmm. And you know, running an agency, when you can deliver against your strategy, you win. Absolutely. So I looked at it as a deck that this is what they're trying to do. And I don't know if you had a chance to read my Mighty Woman submission. 
I did. And what happened between kind of the beginning of COVID 2020 through to now, I call it my time. Mm -hmm. And when I say it was my time, two major things happened. Black Lives Matter and Me Too. Me Too wasn't just about sexual exploitation of women. It was like, see us, we're here. You have inequity in our pay. You have inequity of this. You have you have no representation where we make up X of the, you know, and on and on and on. And it's like, we leaned in and started saying, calling it out. And it all came together. And I thought, so are you ready to lean into your time now? That was the question. Because to be honest with you, Marilyn, it was like, uh, great. Yeah. Look at, they're like, oh, we get to tick two boxes. Move on. <laughs> right? But it was just like, as women do, I questioned the validity of why I was being asked to the table. Yes. So one of the things I started to recognize is how, it's a big word, we self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. How we find another reason to kind of tamper, tap down that success. Mm-hmm. God forbid it be because you've done something, you've had a great career, you, you know, you have great connections. You No, no, no. It's about something else. So again, that work was for me to do. To go, A, am I up for the challenge? B, I do want people to see me as this Black woman who is like, a couple of things about me, and this doesn't mean there's a right or wrong. I don't dye my hair. I don't straighten my hair. I don't wear wigs. I got really short, white, curly, really short. And I am me. And I, my me is just fine, thank you very much. And I remember seeing Oprah in the 80s, and I'm like, she's not Diane Carroll. She's not the skinny, perfect. And you know what? For me personally, I got it because I experienced that. Oh, my God, you can be you and let your success speak. It doesn't matter what, you, what the package is yeah. at all. That, because that's outside of yourself. That's somebody else's values of what you should look like and be like. And why do you care? Yeah. Right? And she was told you can't be on TV because you don't pass these ratings of, um, what was it? What was the word? Likeability score. Come like on. This, yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Either. She was too fat, flat nose, wide face. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her likability. And I remember, and they're good friends, is it Sawyer? Diane Sawyer. Yes, so I love. And her likability score was through the roof, yeah. right? Yeah. Like America wanted to see her on TV telling them, What's happening? Yes. And they literally told her, they don't want to see you tell them. That's the problem. Right? But yet she persevered. And she tells the story about this one person who said, no, you got skills and people like you. And why did they like her? Because they could relate to her. Yeah. It was real. It wasn't like, and that's why I don't like, that's a whole other story, this whole Instagram curated digital it's not real and everybody's trying to do it. And they just launched an app called Be Real. And it's urging people, drop the filters, drop all the, just be real. And remember, I think it was last year when a bunch of actresses started posting pictures with no makeup. I remember this. This is who I am. Yeah, yeah. This and is I how I really that. look. Yeah. Yeah. Like people, come on. Yeah. Right? And so it might be little, but that's huge. Huge, yeah, right? And so I think that being with my peers, and there's no fault or blame here, but there's no one else like me even on the board, right? Yeah. I am one of one. Yeah. And one day I hope that board is not one of one. I hope that it does become more diverse, but we first we've got to attract them into the industry. Now, with that said, there are some amazing diverse people in this industry right now. Mm -hmm. There really are, mm -hmm. but there still needs to be more because it's still so skewed, but got to figure out why, 
why aren't they getting into it? Why aren't, are we doing something in the industry that's not attractive to them? And do we have kind of an unconscious bias of this cookie cutter account team mold? I would err on the yes, we kind of do. I think it's a madman thing that's still hanging on, yes. right? Yes. The Don Drapers of yes. the world, the white men with a bar in their office. There's a look. Yeah. Like there's a look. You know, many people ask me, and I think, and I do mean this sincerely, my personality kind of overcame all that. Because, like, I thought I was always a bit left of center when I was a kid. And I had a great, great childhood. I was a happy, great, lots of friends. And then as I got older, I thought, oh, my God, like, not everyone's like this. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, I was raised to, this is you. Be you. Be kind. Be thoughtful, work hard. And we talked about this before. There is a certain responsibility before women, anyone gets to us, which is what are they fed for breakfast? So this is what I mean by that. I used to get up as the youngest seven and my mother was just have a great day, do your best. And it doesn't matter if you win or lose, but if you did your best, that's great. We're proud of you. That's what I was fed for breakfast. You describe your bravest move was when you basically moved to the Czech Republic. Right. Because you had an opportunity to go client side. And I mean, all of us that were agency side. Yeah. I never made the jump. But I think once we, I, I kind of felt like it was a get out of jail card when you jumped from the agency yeah. to get to the client side. It's like, now I can drop a brief on somebody at five o'clock on a Friday and tell them <laughs> that they need, yeah, now we wouldn't have done that because we're nice people. But you got a chance to go work for a telco company in the Czech Republic. So how the hell did they find you and say, oh, gee, Ira, come on over to the Czech Republic and work for us on the client side at this telco? So the telco was called Oscar Mobile. That was bought by Vodafone. Okay. And to the CEO and the chair of the, there were two, one in Czech Republic, one in Romania, were Canadian. Oh. They engaged Mandrake ah. to do a search. Get it. So I, Mandrake had moved me maybe twice already. Like I got on their little radar and I was a little account executive and I got moved here as account manager. And uh, I got this, uh, I don't even, I think it was a call. It wasn't even an email. I think it was a call. Yeah, chances and are, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, hey, uh, do you want to come in, have this opportunity? So I went in and not going to lie, but the interview process is they would fly you there and then they would, you get to stay, they fly you there on a Thursday and you got to say Friday, Saturday, Sunday to check out Prague to see if it was your jam. And I thought, if anything, it's a long weekend in Europe for right. free. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that. Right. And I'd never been to Prague and it was described completely wrong. It's absolutely stunning. They call it Paris of the East. Mm. I walk into my temporary apartment with its herringbone floor and 14-foot ceilings going, what? Hello. Yeah. And I go to the interview. I get arrive on a Thursday on Friday. Elevator opens. I know four people from Canada. I'm literally, Grace, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Graham? What are you doing? Here? I literally like, what are you guys? And they're like, and they like, Mandrake, bring you? I'm like, yes. So I I ended up knowing a whole bunch of people from Toronto. Wow. Because that's where they were pulling us from, right? Interesting. And um, it was, so I have to give a shout out to uh, the CEO at the time, who was Carla Stevens. Did, she was so far ahead of her time. So she was our leader. And she was on the empathy, emotional, way before anybody else. And I'm like, what's this about? Yeah. And she was all 
A, she was totally into empowering women. I'm in my office. I have a portrait that she did of her women leaders, and they were the women of Oscar or something. Magnificent, like, magazine-worthy photo shoots. And when there were 1,600 people at the company, we had a huge atrium, and you went in and she had all the women leaders' portraits on the wall. Wow. So she was this, like, she believed in the power of women and the way we did business. There were men too, but she focused on leadership, but then the women. Yeah. And she had this, like, we can't sell anything outside unless we sell it inside and we're aligned. Mm -hmm. And it was not just business. It was health, wellness, everything. And I'd never met a leader like that, ever. And I just thought, you don't have to carry a giant stick yeah. to be a great leader. There's there's the next wise. You don't yeah. have to carry a giant stick. Because I think we all enter this with the biggest stick in our hand, feeling like we have to. And that was just like one of the little gifts that she gave along the way. And then there's... She did another thing. When we were purchased by Vodafone, it wasn't about the money. It's how are you going to look after our people? Mm. What opportunities are they going to get? That's how I got to Vodafone in the UK. Like, it was almost like her mission was more to make sure everyone ended up doing and getting what they wanted. And one of the things she did when the sale became final, early days of iPods, early days. And on everybody's desk was a new iPod with some of her favorites. And it was just, it was massive. 1,600 of them. Thoughtful. We couldn't have done this without you, right? And so what I learned was there were a lot of naysayers. Don't do it. It will stall your career. And they didn't, what they were adverse to was the change. I was about to say, they aren't risk takers. They're afraid of change. Stay in your lane. That's the safe place. Yes. And that advice is so wrong. Exactly. It's the, how you grow is you got to get uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, this is too hard. This is beyond me. I don't know if I can do it. And then you're going to do the work to do it. Yeah. It was, there were times when it was fun But what happened was leadership is leadership. Mm. Leadership in, um, though in Prague was by Canadian, the leadership in the UK, I started in the comms group, Mm. internal communications. And a shout out to Darren Briggs, who was just, this guy just had this gift of getting the best out of everyone. Then I went into kind of the marketing side, working with sports and sponsorship. And I'm also going to give a shout out to a gentleman named David Weldon. And I'm going to recount a really interesting story. Please. Formula One racing, which is really bubbled up. Yes. Uh, I was working at Photophone when Lewis Hamilton joined the McLaren Mercedes team. And we were having this huge, huge kind of party for sponsors and everything in Valencia, Spain, because one of his teammates was from there. Wow. So there was a uh, events group at uh, Vodafone who were brilliant. And they came up with this idea because McLaren Mercedes was chipping in that after dinner, we're going to give away a custom Mercedes AMG car. Mm-hmm. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But the kicker was whoever won it, we would take a mold of their back and their backside to make the seat. Hello. So it was actually, so we're how we, the, this group wasn't me. How are we going to do this? And they said, we're going to give, and it was Motorola was another sponsor and they had the slidey silver phone. And when you slid it open, it would make the sound of a McLaren engine. And then Lewis Hamilton would pull out a phone number, call the number. And if the phone rang in this massive, I think it was two, three thousand people, you'd win the car. 
that's a great idea. We get all the phones. Oh my gosh, they've got to be charged. And you've got to set it up by, we had 16 countries in the world attending different um, power banks. And we're like, we've got to do like two or 3,000. And we got there maybe two days before the event. And David Weldon was, was he literally, he was in the C-suite, chief marketing officer globally, sat in a room with us and programmed phones for like, and I was like, you're my hero and made it fun. And I was just like, do as I say, like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we were mano a mano. And we have been friends ever since. He was just knighted by the, like, Prince Charles. Yes. But this guy was like, like, we're working together like you and I. Yeah. What are yeah. we going to do? We How do we sit make on it the happen? floor and program phones until five yeah. o'clock in the morning and until the sun's coming with up. with you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not going out to the big dinner with Lewis Ham. I'm no, with Mike. I'm doing it. So all these sprinkles of what really matters, yeah. what really matters. Yes, we, that we make money, we can do more, we can la, 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 la. But people are looking for that. And if you teach them things like that, they can pay it forward. If they don't see it, they can't pay it forward. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, Len Gill, shout out, my first advertising job. He took the time. He changed my life. He is my foundation of my success. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. Because he took the, I don't know why. I really don't. And maybe that was just his leadership style. But I felt it was just for me. What what should we talk about lastly that makes you a mighty woman? Other than, I mean, the story that comes to mind is you were in New York City for 9-11. Yeah. Now, yeah. maybe we don't want to talk about that? No, we do want to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. So you were in, if what I remember. Kids conference. Kids conference. For, New- Ke- for Kellogg's. Right, for Kellogg's, right. And we were going, and I knew I was going, and I had a very good friend from Toronto who'd started at an agency I'd never heard of, an investment firm called Cantor Fitzgerald. Okay. I'd heard of Burns, Bear Stearns, yeah. Stan. I've never heard of no Cantor Fitzgerald. Yeah. And he's like, and I used to tease him, like, you've got my life. you got the big job in New York. Yeah. And so I said, I'm coming for this kids conference. And he goes, let's hang out. Yeah. And I'm like, perfect. So I told my boss, I'm not going to be at the kids conference. I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm going to meet up with a friend. And she was like, no problem. It's only one day. We're there for four. You're fine. Go ahead. Back in the day, I used to be a runner. And I woke up, I believe, was it a Monday or Tuesday? I always forget the original date of the I don't know either, but I, my gut says I want to say Tuesday, Ira. I, yeah, but I woke up, hotel. It was like a day like today. It beautiful. wasn't humid. It was magnificent. I brought my running stuff. I'm going to go for a run in Central Park. So the original plan was to go to Windows on the World, have breakfast, see his office, then go out. Yeah. That night... Sorry, I have to go back. That night, he goes, I have to go in for an early morning meeting, but I'll be done at 8.30, yeah. meet you at Windows on the World. Got we'll it. just eat later. Yeah. I'm like, no problem. But in the morning, I texted him, just texted, I'm going to go for a run instead. Call me when you're done your meeting. Skip breakfast. We'll do it somewhere else. I've been to Windows on the World before. No big deal. So I go for a run, coming back to a hotel. And it's kind of like out of a movie. People are out of their cars. Then traffic is stopped and everyone's looking up the road. And they're all looking at the World Trade Center. And there's, from where we were, it looked like a hole in it. I'm like, what's going on? And there's smoke, fire. And someone's like, oh, a plane hit the World Trade Center. And I'm thinking a little, a little Cessna. Yeah. And the guy beside me goes, uh-uh, man, it was like a 747 because it came low. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, nah. So I have to shower. I go into my hotel room. I shower. I come up. Local news. 
helicopters are going. Da, 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 da. The guy in the helicopter is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's another plane. And live, this other plane scoots around and hits the second building. And I literally went, what the, what is happening? Like, right away, something's wrong, trying to confirm that the first one was a plane, and literally New Yorkers saw it happen, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I just thought, okay, this is not good. The second plane hit at 8.20, and we were supposed, he was supposed to be done at 8.30. Mm-hmm. I go and try and dial and I get a funny, busy signal. And then it's like, oh my God, like what's going on? Trying to get information, went to the front desk, went to the basement. And I said, he goes, we're going to evacuate very quickly. So go tell your people and get out of here. And I'm like, get out of here. Where? Just go. And I went down to Janine and I'm like, we got to go. And she's like, what are you talking about? We're in- I said, we got to go. And as soon as I said that, the, the they came on the loudspeaker and said, there's been an incident. We need to evacuate immediately. Do not go to your rooms. Don't go get your passports out of your, just get out. Yeah. And I thought, where are we going? Like, where are we going? Yeah. And we were going away from the financial district. Yes. Up. Yes. And as we were leaving... There was a panic of like, where, like, mine was like, where are we going? Yeah. Like, I don't understand where we're going. Yeah. And then they scrambled the F 16s. So we have these fighter jets. And I, of course, I'm like, oh my God, is this like World War Three? Like, yeah. what is, there was fear. So there was a lot of fear. What that meant was with that fear came a whole bunch of regret. Like, I mean, in an instant. I haven't done this. I haven't had kids. I didn't Uh, like, so it's hand in hand Yeah, because you think that something is imminent and this is it. Right. Yeah. And I just was walking up this road with all this regret. Yeah. And then because at the time I wasn't partnered with anybody, I didn't have a book. I said, nobody's going to call and find, see if I'm okay. Nobody's going to like nobody. Right. Yeah. And um, so we walked and we walked and we were trying to get information. And I just couldn't believe that the world had changed. And I couldn't get, I will say his name, may he rest in peace, Ralph Gearhart was my friend. And he was at the point of impact and he passed away. And um, I remember thinking, how can that, how can that even be? Mm-hmm. And if I had gone windows of the world, I would have went up and I would have gone to the roof and said, helicopters can get me. Cause there's a helipad on the top sure. of the world trade center, sure. the beach, but the smoke prevented that they can see, they couldn't do anything. Right. And I just thought I had a glimpse of my mortality in the weirdest way. And why did I go for a run and not go for a run? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so for me, it was a turning point that that said to me, nothing is forever. You have but today. Mm-hmm. Not scared, but I have but today. Mm-hmm. And if something did go wrong or it ended, would I be OK with that? Would I be OK with that? And then as we sat uptown about whew, no more than five hours later, people covered who had survived. And if you've been to New York, you could have heard a pin drop. There was just nothing. Nobody spoke. Nothing. And I didn't even know how to feel. And, you know, watching TV there, which they stopped, they would show people holding hands and jumping out, right? Yeah. And they're not going to survive. They're yeah. hundred stories up there. And I thought, and I remember not computing. What would be so bad that that's your way out? Like, what about the stairs? What about the dead? The dead? Yeah. Like, I didn't get it. I didn't know that jet fuel was caustic. And if it hits you, it's like acid. I didn't know that. No. I didn't know that. I thought it was like gasoline. Like, yeah. So all these things. And you have this literally moment where it's like, 
what's it all about, Alfie? People don't like people. People will do horrible things to people. And you might be at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Yeah. And I was kind of okay until we left. So we rented a car and abandoned it. And then our client, Kellogg's, shout out to Mark Childs, came to pick us up just outside of New York. And as we're leaving New York, the army's like, like they just know. So they just kept coming in and I'm like, oh my God, still thinking we're at war. Mm -hmm. And we're at this roadside thing. And this waitress said, can I give you a hug? And as soon as she hugged me, I fell apart. Yeah. Like it was just like. There it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't go away for days. I imagine. And when I got home, the beautiful thing was like the receptionist at work was like, oh my God, Ira, seriously, there's been 5,000 calls from all over about you. Mm -hmm. When I got home, voicemail on a recording device, Mm -hmm. remember those? Mm -hmm. Full. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Tell us you're okay. And everyone wanted to help and I just wanted to be left alone. Yeah. And then the final part of the story, who saved me from utter despair? And I can't believe I'm going to say it. It was Dr. Phil. Really? I was sitting on the couch. He had two guests on. One was a woman like me who said, life is over. I can't carry on. I can't do anything. All I do is cry. She lost friends. She couldn't. This is like, no. And the other guy was like, I feel nothing. Mm. I feel, I don't know. What am I supposed to feel? But what he said was, if to the woman, if you retreat and you get fearful and you live in fear, then they win. They win. Because that's, that is the goal is to paralyze you into retreating and not trusting and not communicating. And I'm like, God damn, Dr. Phil, you're right. Because we didn't have to go back to work until we were ready to. Yeah. And I honestly thought I was never going to go back. Yeah. And it was true. And it's like everything, which is work, being a mighty woman, when we get knocked back, we have a choice. And it's re- and I'm not saying it was easy to get out. I was not saying it was easy to get back on a plane, which they did as soon as they could get, we could fly. Kudos to Kellogg's, get them on a plane. Like they, they really got into the psychology of trauma. Good for them. Yeah, right. And in retrospect, they were brilliant. The the support around that, and as horrible as it was, and when I came back. Ralph's funeral was the first funeral of a Canadian who was killed at 9-11. I was naive. I went to this church, global TV. See, like it was oh, a media. It was an event. And I, I was like, what is going on? They had Burgess from um, Lemis. Yes, yes. Lemis singing Bring Him Home. And I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. Because it was... It was a world event, right? Yeah. So I think that as much as there was trauma, for sure, there was fear. But then there was, I can't let fear stop this. And then if that's what I'm worried about, then live my life with intention and purpose and kindness that that's not what I'm thinking when it comes, of course, I would miss the people and the experiences that I might not, that if it was taken away back when I was like 20 years ago, I, of course, I would have missed that, but I wouldn't have had regret. Yes. Right. And so it changed everything for me. Everything that I thought was important, like material stuff, like I'm going to buy this car. Who cares? Yeah. Like, I like nice cars, but who cares? Yeah. I'd rather have dinner with you and laugh and drink my rosé. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's not about, oh, I've got to go shopping while I'm in New York anymore. Right. No. No. And it was like, and people matter, relationships matter, and I'm very purposeful. If I say I can connect with you, I'm going to do it. If you choose not to, that's totally cool. But I now really say what I mean and mean what I say. 
And I tell people I love them a lot more too. Yeah. Because you don't know. Yeah. 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 I love this. Thank you. Because there's so many messages. And so thank you for sharing that because I know, Ira, that's a very, a very personal story. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't say when we jumped on this podcast, other than, yes, you are the board chair of the ICA, but you're also the managing director and EVP of Brand Fire Marketing Group. And where I'm going with this is twofold. First of all, I'd like people to know how to get in touch with you because I'm sure they've been inspired and you've already said, I can't have coffee with everybody, but if people want to follow you, connect with you, how, how do they, how do they do that? So LinkedIn, of course, is I'm on LinkedIn. My email address at work is ira at brandfire.ca. And I do want to mention, and thank you for bringing this up, six weeks before COVID, we merged. (laughs) Six weeks, and then we shut down for, till now, uh, we're going in a couple of days a week. But um, we are now, Brandfire is part of the Evolve Agency Group, which is Brandfire, OK&D, which many people might have seen along Uh, The QE, if you're going westbound or eastbound, right on the North Service Road. Uh, And uh, the founder, Len Olenek, is still with us. Rob Levy, founder of Brandfire, still with us. But we have a production company, MJM Media. We have a printing company, A3H. And we have Experiential, which is customer experience with Brandfire CX. The beauty of this merger literally gave us what some clients are looking for, a one-stop shop. We also have media buying and everything in. Yeah. And and we're the kind of like, we're nimble. We're 80-something people and who you meet is who works on the business. I have clients that I work with that I adore and I'm on and in the business. Toyota, SCI, Egg Farmers of Ontario, And because why? Because I'm all about the relationships you build so that you can understand. And it's got to be mutually beneficial. So we have had, and I'm very, very grateful to our clients who stuck with us during COVID COVID and us with them. Mm -hmm. We had to be much more flexible and understand there was a lot of supply chain issues happening. But our clients stuck with us and we stuck with them and we've had great opportunities. And, you know, that's another word that is super important to me is gratitude. Yes. I do not take it for granted for one minute. There are a lot of amazing agencies out there, but I, you know, if what's your USP, what's your new unique selling proposition? I am unique. I'm part of a team that's unique. I'm hands-on. We listen, we work. I'd, I don't want a client. I want a partner. Yeah. Yeah. I want a partner in my life. I want a partner when I do business. Like we've got to, there's going to be a back and forth. There's going to be a healthy tension sometimes, but if we can have the conversation, winner, winner, chicken dinner, everybody's doing great. Right. Excellent. So that's what I love about our clients. Last question before we wrap up and I let you go, Ira, is for the for the mighty women out there listening all around the world, because we do have a global audience, which is so lovely. Yeah. What, what would you just say to them? What would you like to, what would you like to leave them with? So I would say, you know, stand in your light. Ooh. Don't go into anyone's shadow. Stand in your light. You don't have to be overshadowed. Be true to yourself continue to listen. The great things about mighty women that are nurturers and we listen and we're problem solvers, take that and put it in your circle of life. Be unapologetically powerful and then bring others along for the ride, lead by example, and let the light you stand in, let it shine. Let it shine. That's what I would say. I can't think of a better way to wrap up. This has been a delight. I thank you for coming on Breaking Brave. And you are a brave, mighty woman. 
Thank you very, very much. It was my pleasure. And major shout out to mighty women who are here, mighty women coming through the system, and mighty women to be born. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.